It's a Fast Five Star Friday. Welcome back to the Fast Five Star Podcast, presented by the Wide World of Rome and hosted by yours truly, Jimmy Robertson, head football coach at Fairleigh Dickinson University. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the FFSP as we continue on our quest of being Fast Five Star. Michael Jordan famously once said this. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. And others make it happen. Which category do you fall into? Well, I know for a fact that today's guest on the FFSP falls into the make it happen category. This is an individual that not only has the mentality to make it happen... He has his process to make it happen. And along the way, he helps others make it happen as well. Our guest on today's episode is Coach Ryan Larson, the current quarterback coach at Columbia University of the Ivy League. We've talked about it before. A major part of being Fast Five Star is bringing great energy and passion in the relentless pursuit of greatness. Coach Larson does just that. Get your pen and notebook out because Coach Larson is a fast five-star dude and he is about to drop some serious knowledge on us all. As passionate about what he does as anyone, we are going to see how Coach Larson has stayed persistent, has put in the work, and has built relationships throughout his entire career. And how his process helped him land his dream job in the Ivy League. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. And others make it happen. Again, which category do you fall into? So without further ado, here's my conversation with an individual that makes it happen. Coach Ryan Larson, QB coach at Columbia University. Welcome to another edition of the FFSP. I'm fired up for today's guest, and we have one of the best quarterback coaches in America joining us today. This is an individual that I've competed against and always admired how well-prepared and coached up his offenses were. We have Coach Ryan Larson, the current QB coach at Columbia University of the Ivy League, joining the show. Coach, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Fast Five Star Podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. So, Coach, to start it off, can you please give our listeners some insight into who you are, your background, and some past experiences that have led to you becoming the QB coach at such a prestigious Ivy League program? Yeah, I... Uh... I was born and raised a Midwest kid. Um, he was born and raised in Chicago, you know, lived in Southern Indiana, uh, went to boarding school in Ohio, um, found my way out to the West Coast uh, as, a, as a college quarterback at the Division Three level at Claremont McKenna. Uh, always knew I wanted to be a coach, um, you know, knew it through high school, even before then, wanted to be a coach, wanted to be a football coach. Uh, always thought, you know, hey, I, I want to be probably a history teacher um, and be a coach at the high school level. I, when I got to college, I got a little bit of, you know, that taste of what college football is. And I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Like 
I could do just this um, and just coach. And uh, that's kind of where my gears, you know, switched and was, you know, very, very fortunate, um, you know, to have some great coaching mentors as I grew up. And I think, you know, the one guy in particular that kind of, you know, tweak things in my brains with my college quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, Brent Baer. Uh, he, you know, was helping me get into camps over the summers to, you know, start learning how to coach um, in college and, and kind of, you know, was my inspiration of saying, hey, like, let's do this for the living, like just coach. So, um, you know, that was kind of, you know, my, my early years. And um, eventually, you know, was able to, you know, go to Indiana uh, right after college and, you know, was a quality control type of guy there and, and bounced around to some D3s. Um, you know, I, I'm unique in this profession and, and Jimmy, I know you get it. Like my, my dad didn't coach, uh, family didn't coach. Like I don't, I, I kind of had to self make a lot of it. Um, you know, so I wasn't brought up around it. Um, but I always loved it. I always had a huge passion for football. Um, and, and in particular, I had a passion for the way the game worked. Um, you know, how guys interacted from the relationship level as coaches, how coaches used personnel and, and, and schemes. And so it always was like this, this culmination to me that when I got done playing, I might've been the only happy college senior on the field that I was like, okay, cool. Like now I get to coach. Like now I get to do what I've been kind of mulling over in my brain for, you know, 10 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always kind of looked at the game that way. Um, and, you know, I'm sure as we get talking, other things will come up, but, but how naive I was at that time, what little I really knew, um, but what I was able to gain, you know, over the next, you know, few years slash last, last few years uh, to become a better coach. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. And you, you have some great experiences and I'm excited to dive deep into a couple of them. But before we do that, I just want our listeners to get more of an inside look at you and who you are. As a coach, do you have some values that you live by that you instill in your players and how do those values shape your coaching philosophy? Yeah, I think that the one thing um, is that you have to understand that the way you invest in your kids, um, the way you invest in your players is, is important. And, um, you know, I, I tell my guys all the time, I, I will not treat them all the same, um, but I'll treat them all fairly. Um, I think that we as coaches sometimes get caught in a room where we want to treat everyone the exact same um, because that's the easy thing to do. Um, But this is an individual world that we live in and and relationships are individual. And so um, I tell my guys all the time, like, you know, their motivations are different. What makes them tick is different. And so I want to make sure that I'm really, you know, pushing those buttons on the individual level. Um, for all my guys, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really big on, and we do this a few times a year, is we always want to be as coaches, we want to set expectations and goals. Um, so we want to always be able to do that with the student athlete one-on-one. And then it's our job as coaches to help provide that structure. So, you know, use a very simple example. I'm the backup quarterback. How can I become the starting quarterback? That's my goal. Okay, well, here's the structure. Here are the things that you need to get better at to get there. And then finally, the job that's on me 100% is to demand the accountability. Now you said you want to be the starting quarterback. I helped provide you with that structure. Now I'm going to demand that accountability. And if you can't live up to the things that you want, um, those goals that you want and the structure that we've helped put together for you, well, then you're not going about your job the right way. So um, 
a little bit of it's personal, a little bit it's kind of the, the way I do things. But I think when it really gets all together into one thing, it's about teaching. It's about teaching. Um, this is a teaching game. Um, we're teaching them not only X's and O's and fundamentals, we're teaching them about life, we're teaching them about life skills, things that they can take with them. Um, and understanding that in that teaching, everyone learns differently. And so we want to make sure that we're teaching in a way that can hit the whole group, not just one guy. Yeah, I love that. It, it definitely is. I love that you said it's a teaching game. And we've talked about that on previous episodes of the Fast Five Star podcast. And how can you hit individually all the players in your room? So for you right now, every quarterback at Columbia, how are you connecting with them, building that relationship? As you said, set those expectations and goals, provide the structure, and then demand the accountability uh, from them. Now, Coach, I want to bring it back to the start of your coaching career. You went from D3 quarterback at Claremont McKenna College in Southern Cal to coaching in the Big Ten at Indiana. So very drastic jump there, right into the Big Ten and from California to the Midwest. Can you kind of describe that experience to our listeners? Yeah, it was – it was mind blowing, first off, um, in, in, in so many ways. So I grew up in Indiana. So Indiana was comfortable to me. My family lived an hour away from Indiana University. Um, I had great familiarity with the state. Um, you know, I knew the high schools. I knew the recruiting. I knew the Big Ten. I grew up in Big Ten country. Um, but the reason why I got there was that the head coach at the time at Indiana, Bill Lynch, um, you know, four years previous to that, he was the head coach at D3 DePaul for one year and he was recruiting me. And when he, during that recruiting process left to go become the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator in Indiana, um, I kind of kept in contact with him. I was close to his youngest son, who's the same age as me. His name's Kevin. Kevin's the OC now at Ball State. Um, And so I had connections to him and I kind of just tried to always keep that alive. And then when we got to the tail end of my career, knowing that I wanted to coach, I coached all these camps in the summers. I'd kind of trying to build a small network of people that I knew. I reached out to Bill and said, you know, Hey, I'm going to graduate. I was college quarterback. I want to get into the coaching game. I don't care about money. I just want to get in the highest level I can and learn. And so uh, I was a coaching intern for my first year. Um, you know, I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. Um, and it was awesome. I was getting my master's at the same time. Um, you know, I was learning from some really great coaches, um, there and, um, you know, they just started to notice that I was there all day, every day. and I never was leaving. Um, I think they kind of put me through the test to the first, you know, uh, month or so to see if I was just going to be a fair weather guy and, and leave. Um, but I, you know, kept working hard. I got more and more responsibilities. And then my second year, uh, you know, I got promoted into a quality control position. Uh, actually, Kevin, uh, his son had left. He was the offensive quality control. And so I took his job when he left. Um, and it was a great opportunity. And so, uh, you know, the biggest thing is that I just, I learned. I learned so much football. You know, I knew, I knew football in such a narrow way. I knew it from my job as the quarterback. You know, obviously, as the quarterback, you got to know other guys' responsibilities, but you just don't always really understand the whole thing and how it works together. And, uh, you know, the, the OC that I learned under was Matt Canada, who now is the um, offensive coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, we had other guys on that staff. You know, Bobby Johnson, who's the O-line coach for the Buffalo Bills, was our O-line coach for my first year there. 
Dennis Springer, who's the receivers coach at Northwestern, um, was our running backs coach. Kyle Connor was our tight ends coach. He's the OC at Butler. Um, there was a lot of guys on that staff um, that I could learn from. And then even at the young guy level, you know, Kevin now is the OC at Butler. Colin Johnson, our offensive line GA, who I sat next to every single day, is the offensive line coach for Ball State. So like just that little staff right there, the amount of knowledge that I was able to soak in as a young coach was was phenomenal. I mean, it, it changed my life in every way. It changed my life. Oh, yeah. And I want to just hit on the relationship, coach, because that's what life's all about. That's what coaching is all about, relationships with other coaches, relationships with your players, recruiting, whatever it might be. And it's very unique that a coach that recruited you to be a quarterback at the Division three level, and you told him no, but then you kept a relationship with him, then hired you on his staff at Indiana. Can you kind of just talk about that and just how relationships are so important? Because yeah. even in recruiting, you said no, and then you got a job with him. Yeah, so I, I mean, think one, it, it was persistence. Um, you know, the, the, the good thing is, because Bill was leaving DePaul to go to Indiana, I don't think there was ever any type of like bad with that, you know? Um, and I was always very honest with him in the recruiting process that he knew that my family was from Indiana and I wasn't so sure I wanted to be in Indiana for college. I think I, I'd been in boarding school in Ohio. And so I kind of wanted to, to get away even further than I already had been. Um, but I think the persistence of it, I mean, I came in, so my senior year in college, I went to the coaching convention. So I might've been one of the youngest people at the coaching convention and I found him and I talked to him and he was like, Hey, get into grad school. We can talk more. And so that's, you know, January of my senior year and you know, my application's done, it's in, I got into grad school and spring break of my senior year, Indiana was practicing for spring ball. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to see my family and I'm going to go visit. And I literally went to practice and sat in the front row of the stands inside the stadium. They were having a scrimmage and he saw me and I had obviously reached out before saying I was going to come by. Um, and he came over and talked to me and I was like, coach, I got in, I just looked at apartments today. Like, this is where I want to be. If you'll take me, you know, you don't have to pay me. I'm in grad school. Like just let, just tell me when you want me here. And he was like, cool, be here, you know, when do you graduate? Told my graduates like, okay, cool. Be there like two weeks later. And so I did. And so a little bit of it was persistence. A little bit of it was having that relationship, um, you know, and, and I think it's yet again, it's, it's, you know, I had a relationship with his youngest son, Kevin um, from working camps and, you know, everyone kind of knew each other and the Lynch family is kind of, you know, the, the, the football family <laughs> of Indiana. Um, and so I think, you know, just having good relationships with them and people who knew them, afforded me my my opportunity just to get a foot in the door once the foot was in the door is all on me then I had to do my own work but uh, to get my foot in the door I'm I'm still grateful to this day it just goes back to who you are as a person that persistence that work ethic and there's a reason you're now the quarterback coach in the Ivy League because of that work ethic and persistence you know and at the same time that you always want to learn you always want to grow you always want to develop all things that you learn from guys on that Indiana staff. And then I'm sure you've continued to do throughout your entire career to enable you to be where you're at now, but also enabled you to kind of fast track your career a little bit to become an OC an offensive coordinator at the age of 27. And then throughout your time as an offensive coordinator at multiple stops, you had a ton of success. 
But can we bring it back maybe to the beginnings as an offensive coordinator and maybe some lessons you learned as a young OC, you know, and things you look back on now, maybe you say, hey, I wish I maybe did it this way or that way now as an older coach. Yeah, I think that when I first became an OC, um, I was really fortunate because I was promoted at Rhodes. Um, and so I was a pass game coordinator. I got promoted to OC and I got to learn from a, from a guy, Rich DeMeo, um, who really, you know, took me under his wing and developed me to become that coordinator. Um, but I think, you know, the one thing that, that Rich did such an amazing job of is like, he just put the players in great positions to make plays. I was a young coach and we had some success. We, you know, we went eight and two that year and, and, and did well offensively. Um, but I think that as a young coach, I still, you know, being a first year coordinator, I was like, man, I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to kind of grab a little here, a little there. I was like, I, I was like, I was at the buffet. I was grabbing a little bit of everything. Um, and so when I look back at the two losses we had that year, um, both those losses, I felt like I looked back at the game plan and had too much, too much schematics and not enough, you know, personnel, not enough to this guy, this guy. And so that was an early lesson I learned. Um, when I got to Stevenson, my first, I remember it to this day, like my first year at Stevenson, um, we were on a freshman quarterback. So we had a start, we had two guys that kind of duped it out. Um, and one of those guys that duped it out blew his ACL, Dan Williams, who, you know, fast track later ended up being the dude that I might be sitting in my chair in my office right now because of Dan Williams. Um, but Dan blew his ACL and the other kid that we had starting, um, had to leave the team halfway through the year for, for personal reasons. And so we, all of a sudden we go from feeling really healthy in our quarterback room to we've got a freshman who five, six months earlier uh, was at the prom <laughs> and we're in a position where five and one, um, we got a chance to, to still win the league because DelVal beat us, but then DelVal ended up losing. And so we're the last game of the year playing, I'm sorry, second to last year, play uh, second to last game of the year playing all bright. And I call a stupid fourth and one under center, toss the ball to the running back, running back, throws it back to the freshman queue, running back gets hit, pick six, 99 the other way, completely swings the game. We end up losing the game by four points to Albright. Had we won that game, we go to the NCAA tournament. We win the conference championship in the program's fifth year of existence, my first year there. And it was a great lesson for me and, and Ed Hoddle, who I love to this day, the head coach, he said it to me after the game, he goes, you're just a better coach than that. Like, don't get cute. Like be smart, know the whole game. If we got to run the ball there, make them go 99. You're in a tight game. Don't give them the momentum because you want to call the perfect play. And that play you know, the, the players at Stevenson would joke, like drove me to a new level. Like where I was at that point, like I liked calling plays. I thought I was cute that I was like, okay, like now I'm going to, I'm going to beat people and I'm going to find a way to beat people at the personnel level. I'm going to find ways to get better matchups of one-on-ones. And I joke with guys all the time that, that schemed against us, um, that coached against us at Stevenson. And you know it, like, I don't think we were that complicated on offense, but we, 
but we put our kids in great positions to be successful. We found our mismatches. We, we exploited them. Um, I don't think we were reinventing football by any means. Um, and I think that's where I, I took a change of saying, Hey, stop being cute. Stop trying to do all these different things to show off as a young coach and just get back to the players and do what they do well and put them in position to be successful. You were always wanting to learn, to grow and develop and, and in turn, got your program better, your offense better. And, and I said it in the intro coach, but I did, you, you could tell, I admired how your offenses played because you could tell they were well coached. They were well prepared. And you could tell that you were a detailed oriented offensive coordinator. And since then I've seen you give clinics and presentations. And one of the topics I've seen you talk on is game planning and how you organize it and delegate responsibilities and create that scouting report, which I think is transferable offense, defense, special teams and football, but probably transferable to any sport. Mm -hmm. So can you just kind of hit on how you did that kind of how that process went for you and how important it was to be so detail oriented uh, with your process? Yeah, I think that the, the, I always tried to sit back and think about, okay, when I was an assistant, when I was the receivers coach, when I was not the OC, right? What would help me be the best I could be to be prepared for game day? And so what we built was a system of breaking down film that took you from breaking down film all the way to game day with your eyes. And so it, it was kind of like become like the, you know, the Subway sandwich artist, right? Like if I'm the receivers coach, I'm going to break down all the coverages. I'm going to know the coverages. I'm going to break them down myself. I'm going to prepare the tip sheets for the coverages. I'm going to prepare the statistics for the scouting report. I'm going to draw the cards for seven on seven. Um, I'm going to do all these things. And so by the time the game comes, when I'm looking at the coverage, I've already seen it all week. I broke it down. Like I know it inside and out better than anyone. I could ask our receivers coach, what are we getting? And he was boom, boom, boom. He, he knew it almost before the snap of the play because he had perfected it. And so that was kind of how we built it was that everyone had their specialty and it allowed them to be very narrowly focused on their responsibility um, so that they could really dive into the nuts and bolts of it and the details of it, not just take big broad strokes. Oh, they're a cover four team. Okay. Yeah, they're a cover four team, but how do they play cover four? How, what, what, what kind of leverage do they play with their corners? Where's the leverage of the outside back? You know what I mean? Who's run fitting the C or the D gap, you know, all those things. Um, so that was a big part of it. And then, as I mentioned in the last, you know, answer is, you know, we got really into personnel. Um, and one of the unique things that, you know, I was able to do, you know, going out and I'm learning and I'm sitting down with an NFL organization and actually I was sitting on their personnel department, not the coaching department. And they were showing me um, how they put together their, you know, scouting reports from the personnel level. And so in the NFL, you've got breakdowns of each guy's, their pros, their cons, their injury history, their statistics. And so we started doing some of that too, um, to give our guys an idea of who they were playing against. But the, the greatest and the best thing that they had there, which was the simplest thing in the world, was the traffic light system. And so what you did was you'd green a guy, mean we're going to go after him. He's green light. That's who we want to attack. So if it's a corner, good luck, buddy. Like, we're going to go after you. Um, if it was a red light, it was a, hey, we better know where this guy is lined up. Every single play, we better be aware of him. We as coaches might have to scheme things away from him. Um, but the best part of it is it gave our players an idea too. Like, we got to a point, I'm, I'm not going to say the school, but we were playing a game in the MAC, 
we're on the sideline and we had a green corner and we threw the ball in that green corner 27 times in the game. And the O-linemen were joking on the sideline. They're like, coach, how many times did we throw at him this drop? And so like it, our kids were in tune to it. Like they knew what we were trying to do um, that we were trying to create, you know, those, those one-on-ones. They knew that same team had a green nose. They were an odd front. They knew we were going to double that nose and run gap scheme down the center of the defense as much as we could. And so um, I think, you know, using that and being organized was a way to help us. And, and I say it all the time, we don't have to be the smartest coaches. We don't have to be the most knowledgeable. We don't have to be the best, but we can be organized. We can be really organized. We can be efficient. Um, you know, we can do our work the right way and not be sitting there and guarding our desk um, and still be prepared to win on Saturdays. And so that was kind of our process. And we, we had some good success with it, which was awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. I love how aligned it made everyone in the offense, players, coaches, you know, even to the point where you said that the players knew exactly what was going on on, on game day there. Um, now, now, coach, you went from OC at D3 Stevenson to now Columbia, quarterback coach competing in the Ivy League at the D1 FCS level. Can you kind of tell us that story and how you got to Columbia? Yeah, yet again, um, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of persistence. Um, so I, I mean, it was never a secret with me. People knew from the time I was in Indiana till the day I took the job here at Stevenson, or I'm sorry, here at Columbia, that uh, I wanted to work in the Ivy. I think I applied for 40 something Ivy jobs and never got, you know, much back. Uh, so it was always a goal of mine um, to work with, you know, the student athletes we get to work at, to work at the institutions that are in this league. Um, but basically the long and the short of it was a buddy of mine who is the head coach now at Johns Hopkins, but at the time was the OC at Johns Hopkins, Greg Kamara, um, was supposed to speak at a Nike Coach of the Year clinic um, in Pittsburgh. And he couldn't do it. He had to back out of it. And so, you know, he said to the guy, hey, my, my buddy Ryan, you know, would do a good job. You know, you should ask him. And obviously Greg had asked me. And so I was like, sure, yeah, I'll go to Pittsburgh. And so I go to Pittsburgh and I'm given a, a clinic on RPOs. And uh, a, a high school coach um, from here in New York tweets a picture of me out, you know, and was very complimentary, said, hey, you know, um, one of the best presentations of the weekend, you know, isn't a D1 coach, it's this D3 coach from Stevenson, Ryan Larson. And so what happened in social media was, you know, a lot of my friends, my, a lot of my buddies were, you know, liking it, retweeting it, and it caught the attention of some of the guys here. Now, it caught their attention as, hey, let's write this guy's name down. Let's see if maybe we can bring him up sometime, talk some ball, you know, pick his brain, you know, that kind of deal. Well, here's where the luck came into it is that a few days later, their quarterback coach leaves. So my name just happened to be fresh in their minds. And so then they start calling these buddies and these connections that we all have. And I remember Greg Kamir is one of them. He, he called me. He's like, what job did you apply for at Columbia? I was like, I didn't apply for a job at Columbia. What are you talking about? And he was like, oh, I just got a call from one of their assistants. He left me a voicemail. I'll call him back. I'll figure out what's going on. And so the next morning I talked to, to Coach Fabish at like 8 a.m. I'm dropping my daughter off at, uh, yeah, at daycare. <laughs> um, I'm talking to him on my way to driving into Stevenson. That's eight in the morning. By noon, I'm on the, head, I'm, I'm on the phone with Al Bagnoli, our head coach. Um, by two o'clock, I've got a, a train ticket for the next Monday to come interview for the quarterback job. 
And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm here, I'm working on a Monday and, and Tuesday is our first day of uh, spring ball. <laughs> so um, it was awesome. It was, a, it was, it was crazy for the 40, whatever jobs I applied to before I got here. The one I ended up getting was one that I didn't even know about, you know, and I think that that's what happens a lot in this profession. It's the connections. Um, but yet again, like had I told Greg or told that Nike coach of the year guy um, that was the clinic organizer and eh, no, thanks. I'm not interested. Um, I might not be sitting in this seat right now. And so just a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing, um, you know, and just putting yourself out there um, to, to help in the coaching world. And you never know how it's going to come back and help you. So I'm grateful for sure. And it goes back to just the type of person you are throughout your entire career. You're persistent. You know, you take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself. And this one, you know, people say the first impression is the only impression that matters. And for you, this impression wasn't even an in-person impression. It was a social media impression. But again, you made the most of the opportunity because you're opportunistic and persistent throughout it all. Uh, and in that answer, coach, you mentioned the head coach you work for now, Al Bagnoli, who's second all time in Ivy history with nine league titles and winning his active coach at any level of college football right now. All right. So I would say he's probably creating a special championship culture at Columbia now. Can you kind of tell us what that's like working for such a successful head coach uh, and kind of describe that culture he's created? Yeah, um, I knew it the, the, the first meeting I sat in on, I mean, my first day on the job, I came in to our big conference room and, you know, everyone has an assigned seat. Everyone has their papers laid out at their spots. You know, our director of player personnel has the sheet sitting there. Who's visiting that day? Um, I mean, there's a, there's a schedule for practice the next day. I mean, just so organized, you know, coach Bagnoli has done this at such a he hasn't just done this for so long. He's done it at such a high level for so long. Um, and he brings instant credibility. You know, coach took over this program six years ago and it wasn't in a good place. Um, but the reason why, you know, Columbia sought after him coming here was to help, you know, rejuvenate things and, and bring that credibility. Um, and he does it by, you know, having a model of bringing in, you know, great assistant coaches of being very thorough in how we recruit our student athletes and making sure um, that they're not only, you know, a great fit, you know, athletically and academically, but also for the program. You know, there's a lot of great football players out there. There's a lot of great student athletes out there, um, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily a fit for us, right. you know? And so that's something that, you know, I've been fortunate with in terms of, you know, my position recruiting wise, I have my areas, but I, I, I'm very involved with the quarterback recruiting here. Um, and I tell people all the time, like, I can pull up a hundred quarterbacks who can get it done here that we could recruit, but are they the right fit? Are they the right fit for, for New York city? Are they the right fit for Columbia? Are they the right fit for, you know, the culture of our program? Um, and so I think that that's what makes coach Bagnoli really, you know, special and unique is the way that he organizes everything, every detail and the people that he puts around him, you know, whether it be coaches, personnel department, strength and conditioning. I mean, there's a plan for everything and everyone has their responsibilities and they're held to their responsibilities. And so we're all, you know, doing our individual things to make sure that this thing runs as smooth as it can. So um, I most definitely, I don't want to say I have a do I'm, I'm getting a doctorate in, in you know, head coaching, but I'm, I'm sure as hell getting a master's in head coaching, being around him and, you know, just learning. And it's so funny, man, I'll be out in 
wherever recruiting. I'll be at a camp. I'll be out in Southern California and be like, oh, you work for Al Bagnoli. And I'm like, oh, how do you know coach? He's like, oh, I know coach when he was at Penn 25 years ago coming through here. I'm like, oh, my God. It, everyone knows him. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows him. Um, and, you know, the people who've gotten jobs, you know, from him or he started, I mean, Kevin Stefanski, head coach for the Browns, played for coach. First job he ever had was for coach. So um, it, it's, it's awesome. Every day, um, you know, you learn new things and, and he treats me great. A lot of respect. Um, you know, gives me a platform to, to help affect things in a positive way, recruiting, football, quarterbacks. So um, I'm very grateful to work for him and, and soak up, uh, you know, his knowledge for sure. Yeah, it's a phenomenal opportunity for you. You don't just win nine Ivy League titles, you know, on accident. So he's done it throughout his entire career. You know, and now, as you said, he has a plan and then a plan to execute that plan and then probably multiple backup plans for every contingency that can happen. So it is, you know, a phenomenal opportunity for you to learn under him. And I know you mentioned quarterbacks in that answer as well and finding the right quarterback for Columbia. You played quarterback. You've coached quarterbacks for most of your career, coaching quarterbacks now. Can you kind of talk about one, why is quarterbacks probably the greatest position in all of sports? You and I are probably biased on that, being that we both <laughs> played it and still coach it. But what makes the quarterback position so special? You know, is there a quarterback that you say, hey, that's the quarterback that's the greatest of all time because of A, B, and C? And then what kind of quarterback are you trying to recruit to Columbia? Yeah. Whew. Um, first all off, layers to that answer that no, question. No, no, you're good. I mean, hey, the first thing is like this this position is special. And I, I say it all the time and it's not an arrogant thing. There's, there's no position in sport more sought after, more known about, more scrutinized, more held on a pedestal than the quarterback. You can go to any high school game and you're going to find someone in the stands that, that knows nothing about football, but they know who the quarterback is. Mm-hmm. You could say Tom Brady. You could say Ben Roethlisberger. You can say Peyton Manning. You can say those types of names and, and people know what the correlation is. They know that they're all quarterbacks, you know? Um, and so I, I think that what drives me every day is that I get to work with that position, the position that if they're not prepared, we're, we're done for as a team. You, you only go as far as your quarterback will take you. Um, you can have a good team with an average to below average quarterback, but you'll never have a great team. You need a uh, you need an above average to great quarterback to be a championship level program. Now I've seen, you know, championship level quarterbacks take a team that was not very good and raise them up too. And so that's where I just I'm I'm very very blessed to work with this type of position, and it, and it's what gets me up in the morning. It gets me excited. I mean, my guys would joke with you like the amount of text messages that they get from me in the group chat of a Tom Brady video, a Peyton Manning video, whatever, uh, a Michael Jordan video, because I love ragging on, on them guys here and in my past that Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. Um, and I, of course, always have to listen to the LeBron, you know, arguments. But hey, this is such a special position. And so, you know, the investment on a daily basis of developing this position from physical, mental leadership, all of it is, is awesome. It's fun. Uh, I love it. And, you know, so that goes kind of into your, your other question about you know, what we're looking for. Um, 
you know, when we're evaluating, we're lucky here, you know, I can kind of use academics as that first, you know, sieve <laughs> to kind of get, you know, get guys through. Um, so I can kind of screen some guys out there with academics. Um, and then, you know, obviously we're looking athletically and, you know, I tell guys all the time, I'm not looking for just dual threat. I'm not looking for just pro style. I'm looking for guys that are unique. What do they do that's unique? You know, if you are a dual threat kid and you're a unique runner, we can maybe take a little bit of a less passer. Um, if you're a pro style kid who can't really move well, you better be unique throwing the ball. And so unique is one of those things that I'm looking for. What's, what's above average. What's what makes you really special. Um, you know, and then when we get into that, obviously we have a lot of metrics. We have a lot of things that we're looking for in particular, but as we vet through all those physical and academic things that really take care of themselves pretty quickly. I mean, I can get most of that done in in a pretty short amount of time, it really gets into getting to know them as a person, um, you know, and, and that's where, you know, I think that we're, we're always trying to upgrade and, and make our room better and better, better is just, you know, evaluating what are their leadership capabilities? What's their leadership threshold? You know, how much better can they get? You know, can they lead a program, um, an Ivy program, you know, take a program from where we are to a championship level. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. I've got some some questions that I ask that I have uh, kind of, you know, saved and ready. Um, there are some things I, I ask recruits to do or um, certain ways I phrase things to them. I want to see how they respond. Um, I'll give out a hint right now to any quarterback whoever listens to this is when you, you know, you send your highlights on Saturday after playing Friday night, please tell coaches that you won or lost. Don't just send your, your link. And then, you know, maybe your stats, if you won, you won, you lost, you lost, like own it. You're a quarterback. It's part of it. Right. And I, it's funny. Every quarter, I, every Saturday morning, the amount of, you know, DMS I get with links to the highlights and I pour and the first question I ask every single time, did you win every time, unless they already told me, because yeah. yet again, like you got to own it. You got to own it as a quarterback, whether the good and the bad, you have to own it. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of a little bit of our process as we go through. And, you know, obviously I'm, I'm in conjunction with our offensive coordinator, Coach Fabish, and, um, you know, with Coach Bagnoli of, you know, things we're looking for, numbers, how many we're going to bring in, you know, all those things. So it's, uh, it's not a perfect science, but there's a science to it for sure. No, I love it. I love it because, as you said, it's, you know, it's a unique position and it is a special position for a reason. And now, Coach, I just want to transition a little bit to the pandemic here. You know, obviously, this is unique times for us all, unique challenges, and different coaches are approaching it in different ways. I know from talking with you off air, you've done something unique. You've tried to build relationships with coaches and in doing so, reach out to younger coaches, GAs, and quality control guys to help them out. You know, Part of your process was building relationships throughout your career, so now you're helping others. Can you kind of describe what you're doing and, you know, how that's been going? Yeah. So, it, you know, like anything, it kind of happens organically. Um, there has to be a little bit of forced effort into it. But, um, you know, really, it's it started back when I was at Stevenson. Um, young man, David Sobzak, um, is now a student assistant at Syracuse. Uh, he was a high school uh, kid from the Baltimore area. He was getting treated at the children's hospital that my wife worked at mentioned to my wife that, you know, he, uh, he loves football and wants to coach football in the NFL someday. And, um, you know, so 
David has a condition, a health condition um, that doesn't allow him to play football. And so it turned into he and I connecting and talking ball once a week, he'd come over. And so um, he connected me with some other young guys. And um, so I've kind of taken it from there. And um, there's a young man who, who played at the same college I did, who's a GA now at Northern Illinois. And so I connected with him. And so what's kind of happened is, you know, you connect with a guy here and then he connects you with a guy. And um, I'm jumping on Zoom usually once a week with a guy, maybe, maybe twice a week and um, talking ball. Um, so we usually start off with a phone conversation and, you know, I'll tell them about my experience and how I got places and things I did that helped me and kind of learn their story and how they got where they are. And um, then we turn it into Zoom and maybe I present, you know, some things that they want to know more about, or I ask them to present, you know, and um, give them feedback and things I like. And so what I've kind of started to slowly do here is create, you know, a I hate to say the word Rolodex because a Rolodex makes it sound like there's a lot of kids and most people don't even know what a Rolodex is anyways. Um, but, you know, kind of creating a little network of, hey, young guys. And so, hey, if I got a buddy who gives me a call or shoots me a text that, hey, you know, a young guy that, you know, might be looking for a GA job or might be looking for his first position job, um, you know, I'm kind of creating a little bit of a network. And I think, too, it's, you know, people help me. People helped bring me along and gave me advice. And I, I knew so little. I thought I knew a lot, but I knew so little when I went to Indiana. Um, and so if I can give back and help, um, it's a great opportunity. Um, and it's good for football. And technology has allowed, you know, Zoom has allowed me to do things with our quarterbacks um, over the past year that I never would have even thought to do and will think to do now. Um, so there are so many things that, you know, people could say though, this is an excuse, but also can look at how this can really open up some new avenues. And so it's made me a better teacher. Um, it's made me think about it. It's made me connect with people. Um, you know, whether it's young guys or connecting with, you know, professionals that can help our quarterback room and bring them in mm -hmm. as, you know, uh, guests into our quarterback meetings, which has been awesome for our kids too. So, um, it's been a great deal. Yeah, and it's great for our game, as you said, because you're sitting where you are today because a lot of people helped you along the way, and now you giving back to all these young coaches and giving back to the game. There's going to be guys that get to a place in their career because of the meeting you had with them, and maybe it motivates them a little bit more, maybe gives them a little insight into the profession. So it's a, it's a great thing. It's phenomenal, and I, I love that you're doing it. Now, Coach, just to wrap it up, and thank you for all the time you're spending with us today. I have one last question I want to ask you, something that I really like asking all of our guests here on the Fast Five Star podcast. Being Fast Five Star is bringing that great energy and passion in the relentless pursuit of greatness to get to that elite championship Fast Five Star level. You've done it throughout your entire career, pretty much everywhere you've been. If there was one last piece of advice for our listeners that helped get you to that level, what would it be? Work hard. Work hard. Period. I mean, simple, you know, um, we preach here, eat effort accountability team. And, you know, when we had a team, um, you know, meeting last week and we broke up into small groups and we're talking about what effort means. I mean, that that's effort. Like that's your individual thing. Doesn't matter any circumstances, COVID injuries, you know, what your teammates doing doesn't matter. You control your effort. You control your work ethic. 
Um, that's, you know, my parents might not have coached football. I might not have had any connections in football, but my parents taught me to work hard. Um, they worked hard. They have worked hard. They still work hard. Um, you know, they're, they're small business owners that created something from a basement into something bigger. Um, and so that, that'd be my big thing is that you'll never regret working hard. No one has ever put in the work and said, man, I really regret working hard. Like no one ever says that, you know? Because it's always going to reward you in some way. It might not reward you when you want it to. It might not give you the exact outcome that you hope for. And at the time you do, um, but investing in yourself and working hard is always going to pay off. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, I went to go speak at a Nike coach of the year clinic in Pittsburgh, and that took time and effort. I had to drive there and back. I had to put together a presentation and do all those things and help me land my dream job that I've been applying for, for close to 10 years before. So, you know, that would be my biggest thing. Um, and that's a huge thing that I harp on our cues all, all the time. It's just, Hey, like, did you get better today? Did you find a way? I know it's cliche. Everyone says 1% better every day, but, but did you, did you find a way to get better? Did you work hard today? Whatever you had to work hard at, academically, athletically. Um, so that to me is the essence of it all. If you got that, it can make up for your knowledge. It can make up for a lot of things um, if you just put the work in and get it done. You're living testament of it, Coach. Played D3 QB in Southern California from Indiana, and now you're living out your dream as a quarterback coach in the Ivy League because you were persistent, because you worked hard. You built those relationships throughout your entire career. And I think it was Derek Jeter. You made me think of it. You know, you're in New York City, Derek Jeter, the Yankees, New York City, the Bronx. I think he was the one who said people can have more talent than you, but there's no excuse for anybody to work harder than you. And this is a guy that's hall of famer, the be one of the best of all time, but he still had the mentality of nobody's going to outwork me. And you look at the best, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryant's, the Tom Brady's, nobody outworks any of them. And they're the best at their profession and they still outwork everybody. Yeah. Michael G Jordan's the goat. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, is, is there a way for our listeners to connect with you some more? Maybe can you drop your Twitter, your social medias? Yeah, um, my, my Twitter is at Coach Ryan Larson. Um, that's with an E-N at the end. Um, and then, you know, my email is r.larsen, um, L-A-R-S-E-N at columbia.edu. Um, so those are probably the two, you know, easiest ways to get a hold of me. Uh, I, I'm an open, you know, DM guy, so I'm not closed. So uh, try to get back and obviously I get a lot of a lot of recruiting ones so sometimes it, it gets clogged up a little bit but I work through it as best I can um, but please feel free if anybody has a question or, or wants to talk more would, would love to awesome well coach I, I appreciate it I cannot thank you enough for joining us on the fast five-star podcast spending this much time with us I wish you and Columbia much success and I look forward to seeing you guys rack up those wins this coming fall thank you appreciate you guys too take care Thanks, Coach. Have a good one. Wow! What a phenomenal conversation with Coach Ryan Larson. It's clear to see why Coach loves Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is someone who always believed if you put in the work, the results will come. That everyone has talent, but ability takes hard work. And that if you do the work, you get rewarded. There are no shortcuts in life. 
It's exactly that mentality that Coach Larson displays on a day-to-day basis and that he discussed throughout our entire conversation. I just love how throughout his entire career, he stayed persistent and put in that work. And by doing so, always added responsibilities to his jobs. He went from playing Division III QB to coaching in the Big Ten to becoming a record-breaking offensive coordinator at the D3 level to now coaching at a dream job in the Ivy League. And along the way, he's consistently learned, grown, and developed. Something he still does today and also helps others do today, day in and day out in his pursuit of greatness. And as he said, as a coach, it's all about teaching. Something we've discussed many times on this podcast before. And as Coach Larson said, everyone learns differently. So you must find ways to hit your whole group. And have a process to get your players to a level they've never been before. That process for coach starts by setting the expectations and goals with the player. Then as the coach, he provides the structure. And then he demands the accountability. It goes back to what Michael Jordan once said. Some want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. And others make it happen. Coach Larson is giving his QBs every opportunity to make it happen. And in turn, he's doing so for himself and the Columbia University football program. I want to thank Coach Larson once again for joining us on the Fast Five Star Podcast. I know for a fact that we all just got better by learning from him. And I know for a fact that he will have Columbia's quarterbacks performing at an elite championship fast five-star level this fall. I want to once again thank everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the FFSP. Remember to subscribe to the Fast Five Star Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. On Anchor, on Spotify. Rate it. Review it. Leave us a comment or a voice message. Follow us on our social medias, on Twitter, on Instagram, at Jim Robertson QB, at Fast Five Star, at Wide World of Rome. Hit us up so we can connect and stay on this journey of being Fast Five Star together. I hope everyone has a Fast Five Star Friday. Stay persistent. And go make it happen. And until next week, we are all aboard.